0: Eating, cell phone,
1: is the phone. Drugs, number one.
2: Put that phone down because today we're going to give you many reasons why we all should. Distracted and impaired driving is a serious problem in Canada. Texting while driving makes us six times more likely to cause or be in an accident. We'll talk with a police officer who lost his dad to a 16-year-old texting driver. and We've got some great interviews coming up on that, but first.
0: We have therefore made the assessment that COVID-19 can be characterized as a pandemic.
2: With 114 countries affected, the World Health Organization has declared that the coronavirus is now a pandemic. We talk with Context correspondent Sheridan Sanders, who's in Rome where 60 million people have been quarantined. As the World Health Organization says, they're deeply concerned by the alarming levels and spread of severity of the outbreak. That's all coming up on Context. 60 million people in Italy have been forced to quarantine after more than 10,000 cases of COVID-19 quickly spread across their country. Italy is the hardest hit outside of China. Sheridan Sanders is Context's Rome correspondent and she joins us now by Skype. Sheridan, uh, set the scene for us in Italy. What's it like now?
3: It's eerie, uh, Lorna, because uh, Italy is a place where people come from all over the world to you know see the the gorgeous sites, the historic places. And right now it feels like a ghost town. And you uh,
2: just landed. You came, you got groceries. You were, you noticed immediately in the grocery store distancing. What's going on?
3: Yeah. So uh, people are lining up outside of their grocery, outside of the grocery store. And even at the grocery store, you have to maintain about one to three meter um, distance. So they're only allowing a certain amount of people in at a time. And um, outside, you have to, in the line itself, you you have to maintain distance from uh, everyone else. People are definitely stocking up on things. And um, I mean, overall, I think it's it's a calm and kind of respectful, um, you know, uh, ambience or, or environment. But um, you can still... You know, it's it's not normal, and obviously, it's a little
2: worrying. What's happening, do you think, on the line of faith and public life going into COVID-19?
3: Well, they've cancelled all public masses, Um uh, as of uh, until April third, April third. So that means that during Lent, which is a time when you do a lot of, uh, you know, liturgical celebrations around Stations of the Cross or that sort of thing, and people aren't able to participate in that anymore because that all requires gathering into a place. So um, I think that's going to be one of the hardest things to deal with is that we just we can't go to Mass anymore. Um, but, of course, everyone here will do everything they can to uh, to respect the guidelines and to make sure that, you know, the coronavirus doesn't spread.
2: Okay, so let's talk about the economic fallout. What are people expecting?
3: Well, uh you know, all of these small businesses that, you know, when the universities uh, closed down here and a lot of Americans were sent back uh, and, and any foreign tourists or that sort of thing was sent back uh, home. Um, you know, there are a lot of smaller businesses around that that are supported. So, for example, now Vatican City is, is basically empty and there's, and there's a lot of small businesses that rely on that kind of tourism. So not only is it, you know, the the hotels and all of those types of, uh, industries that are linked to directly tourism, but the smaller side businesses that are connected with that. And that will have a huge impact. I mean, the fact that restaurants are empty, that they, you know, people have to go home at 6 PM and that you're not able to, to have those dinners. And I mean, that's an Italian way of life. Even going to the coffee shop is an Italian way of life. So all of that has been shuttered up basically, um, you know, with people just not being able to go out or not wanting to go out.
2: And it's affecting every area, hospital visits, seniors visits, prisons. We've heard 12 prisoners in Santa Ana died as a result of rioting over family not being able to visit. How's that story going down?
3: Well, I mean, obviously it's... They're going to have a hard time uh, containing people's fear around this and uh, people were rioting because they wouldn't have access to their family members. They were suspending visiting hours. So, um, I mean, it's very sad, uh, but obviously I think that people are just trying to manage as best they can. I don't think anyone is really prepared for a pandemic. And the country was very bold in deciding to take these very drastic measures. But I think that, you know, in the best in the interest of everyone, um, you know, I think everyone's just going to to do their part to make sure that this this stops.
2: Okay, and Sheridan, how is your own faith holding up in this very unprecedented time?
3: You know, um, we had the 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 reading on the Transfiguration of Christ uh, last um, last Sunday, and you know. Christ, he, he basically says he's always with us, right? So even though we might be af- afraid, um, I think that these are the times when you become aware of the fact that you are a limited person and there's really only so much you can do to kind of control situations. And it's in those times that you really kind of have to hunker down and, and just trust in God and also um, to just kind of maintain your cool throughout all of this and, and just do what you can and just know that um, the rest is in God's hands, really.
2: All right. Well, Sheridan Sanders, you've helped us put a face to pray for the suffering there in Italy. Uh, You are our context correspondent. Thank you for joining us from Rome, and stay safe. Well, do look at our website for an entire program we've got there on COVID-19. We will address this in upcoming weeks as well, but great information on our website. And, uh, but let's turn today now to our topic of distracted and impaired driving. Does it make a difference to be educated? Let's get started. Context producer Fatan Al-Faraj, you've been researching this for us. Did it make a difference for MAD, Mothers Against Drunk Driving, to launch such aggressive advertising?
4: Oh yes, it did. Based on the Stats Canada, uh, it it turns out that the impaired driving has been going down. decreasing in the last 30 years.
2: Those are fantastic drop from 600% right down to 150 drivers per 100,000 of the population. Um, is this uh, having an effect on drugs?
4: Well, unfortunately, the drug, the drug impairment is uh, going up in the last seven years. If we look at this chart, we can see in the dark blue in the year 2016, it is going upwards.
2: And, uh, and for young people between the ages of 19 to 34, mm-hmm. uh, 20 drivers per 100,000 admitting being found to driving uh, impaired with drugs, is this showing up in our court cases?
4: Oh yes, uh, impaired driving is one of the most frequent offenses in our court cases.
2: Okay, and it's a big list, isn't it, of what could be counted for as distracted?
4: Oh, yes. It's not only uh, checking your phone. It's interacting with the passenger, talking on your cell phone, holding an object, uh, talking, singing, dancing, um, smoking, uh, adjusting your climate uh, control.
2: And how common is it that, that Canadians are saying, I'm a distracted driver?
4: Unfortunately, three out of four Canadians are admitting that they are distracted while driving.
2: Okay, well let's get to our guests on this subject, but first, take a look now at some of the incredible and shocking commercials made to stop distracted and impaired driving. Tim Stockwell is the director at University of Victoria's Canadian Institute for Substance Use Research. He joins us now. So, Professor, why do people get behind the wheel while impaired, even though we've had all this education and information about the known risks?
5: Well, this is uh, a problem that actually is much lower than it used to be a, a generation or so ago. But it's the fact is... We rely on our vehicles. We mostly, most of us drink alcohol. um, And a lot of our drinking um, involves driving. For some people, we need to get transport where we're going to do our drinking and get home afterwards. And it's just so convenient. Uh, And really, it's a matter of making it easier for both easier for people to have alternatives, but also creating in people the belief they're likely to be caught if they um, engage in this behavior. I think mostly think oh, people think, a lot of people think, if I can get away with this, I'm going to just drive a little bit impaired and it'll all be okay.
2: And how much is a little bit impaired?
5: Well, it's a sliding scale. I mean, we set the level at, a, at 0.05 um, blood alcohol concentration, which for most people means that if you did sort of little tests of reaction time and split attention tasks, you'd be able to measure some impairment. Um, but the more you drink, the, the greater the impairment. And it's and it because it's so hard to specify with different body types, different tolerance levels, an exact safe level that applies to everybody. We err on the low side and be cautious. So, you know, really, no alcohol at all before driving is is optimal, and at the very most, one uh, with a meal, and you wait at least two hours after you've had that drink before you get into a car.
2: Two hours after a glass of wine. Okay, now when yeah. when it is now the grounds of cannabis being legal in Canada, what challenges does that come with detecting drug-impaired driving?
5: Well, the first challenge is that we don't have quite as precise a test of impairment from cannabis as we do from alcohol. Mm-hmm. The alcohol test isn't perfect, so you can you can blow .05 or above, and actually be hard to detect impairment for some people. With cannabis, the task is even harder because the variation in our response is 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 very great. Um, but. There are tests, saliva drug tests, and as long as we get the threshold right, um, they can be used to be in a way that detect what is probable impairment.
2: Okay, Professor, um, you were so helpful on um, on the time lapse—two hours after a drink before getting behind the wheel, minimum. What would you say for cannabis? when after having consumed cannabis should someone get behind the wheel? I
5: think people's response and the rate at which they metabolize and are affected by cannabis can vary a lot and it can be and it can be longer. Um, I would recommend more hours than that after one joint at at least four hours but this isn't an absolute limit. Um, So really any Substance use within several hours of driving is a bad idea and of course the more you use the longer that delay should be. So people can wake up the next morning after a heavy drinking session or having ingested a lot of cannabis. It could still be in the system. It could still be affecting you the next day. Um, So one has to be extremely careful with these things.
2: Okay, Professor Stockwell from the University of Victoria Substance Abuse Centre. Thank you for your insights.
0: Eating. Cell phone, I think, is number one. Is the phone. I think that'd be probably one I'm more guilty of.
4: Cigarettes might be a distracting.
0: Wait till later when you're not driving.
4: I see buses going through red lights all the time. And rubbernecking. People like to see what's
1: going on, and that causes accidents as well.
6: I suppose just our attention spans are not really
0: great, and I don't think they're getting any better.
2: Well, in 2009, Sergeant Rob Duchin received the devastating news that his father had been hit by a car and killed by a 16-year-old driver who was fighting with her boyfriend by text and then striking and killing Sergeant Duchin's father, Art. Sergeant Duchin, thank you for joining us. Um, We're so sorry for your loss of your dad. What went through your mind when you learned somebody texting had killed your father?
0: You know, a a lot of things go through your mind. I I think in the moment, uh, there was uh, certainly a sense of loss for our family. We had a profound sense of sadness that this 16-year-old girl um, had to go through this. And then as we became more aware through the uh, Victims' Bill of Rights in the discovery of the senseless nature of what was being talked about on text. Uh, The gravity and and the tragedy of the entire situation lands home with you. Mm
2: -hmm. You had been in the police force already for a decade, Sergeant. How did this impact you as a police officer?
0: Well, it immediately changed, you know, like any job, there are certain positions that, in the police department, are coveted and some less so. And you know, traffic had always been one of those areas where I believed it was my duty as a police officer to do it, uh, but it wasn't my favorite thing to do. And uh, after Dad was killed, I just realized that this was really a, a serious situation that we were confronting in road safety. And. If by virtue of my position and by virtue of my story, I could engage and uh, try and make a difference then I could take this personal tragedy and and hopefully turn it into something that's beneficial not only for our family and not only uh, that helps uh, me work through and process my grief but uh, something that benefits the the community and, and hopefully the country.
2: Okay Sergeant, um, you've made a passion now about educating, about texting and driving. What are you telling us? What 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 will it take to put an end to it?
0: Well the reality is my objective is always to change one mind at a time. Uh, driving is a complex divided attention task. It requires your perception, it requires your cognition, and it requires your motor skills. And When you impair driving by anything, be it drugs, alcohol, or engaging with your electronic device, uh, texting, uh, using the device in a handheld mode, you decrease your ability to perform fine motor skills, to perform gross motor skills, to cognitively process the environment around you, and you take your sensory attentions and you divide them between the task of driving and whatever else you're doing. And so the message is clear. If you're going to get behind the wheel of a vehicle, put your phone down, don't drink, don't do drugs, and give that task of operating a 5,000 pound vehicle at speeds between 30 and 110 kilometers an hour, your complete and undivided attention. Because the life that you save might just be your own.
2: Are the penalties enough to change our behavior into uh, being safer?
0: Well certainly we've seen increased penalties here in Manitoba and they have gone a long way in their deterrent effect. We have a first offense three-day suspension, we have a fine that is almost 700 dollars and we have five demerits which are imposed which then has a uh, compounding effect because it affects your insurance, it affects your license cost and so the single act of distracted driving can end up costing you thousands of dollars. Hopefully, that acts as a deterrent, Uh, but my hope would be that people would just think logically about what it is they're doing when they operate their vehicle and realize that driving and texting, driving and using a hand-operated electronic device just isn't worth the risk.
2: Well, Sergeant, thank you for taking the grief of losing your dad and turning yourself into a national advocate on the job even after losing your dad. I'm sure he'd be very proud of you.
0: Well, thank you, and uh, thank you for giving us another forum to share this uh, important message and to honor my dad's memory. The
2: documentary film Three Seconds Behind the Wheel follows the lives of eight drivers over a six month period to monitor their driving habits. The movie looks at human nature, and award winning filmmaker Jennifer Boyd is the creator of this film. Jennifer, Uh, It's an amazing film. (laughs) It's hard to watch. Why was it necessary for you to make this film?
1: Well, there are so many. Well, we know that distraction has been increasing and fatalities related to distraction have been increasing across the world. Um, What I wanted to do was make a film that didn't preach, didn't lecture, but really just studied human behavior. And so the idea behind this film is like, you monitor human behavior in a car. Um, These people were kind enough to allow us to enter into their lives for a while. And uh, I wanted to make something that didn't lecture, it didn't preach, it was just something where you look at what is happening in the car and maybe through the variety of scenarios, situations and people that we show, uh, you take something away, you learn something from what you are seeing on the screen.
2: Okay, you wanted us to understand this is just human nature to allow yourself to be distracted while driving. Why is that?
1: Well, you know, there's lots of studies on, on uh, human nature and brain science and dopamine and how we are becoming more and more. Um, uh, the dopamine triggers our desire for curiosity and our desire to be liked. And we're so, it, uh, you know, so we're constantly trying to see what is on our phone, what the next message is, et cetera. Um, But at the same time, a lot of the experts will say that driving has become easier and easier and almost boring. And so we are looking for other activities to do in the car. Uh, So when we studied these people, it wasn't really just about um, texting and um, uh, chatting with friends. It was about selecting music. It was navigating. It was uh, grooming. It was a lot of eating.
2: Jennifer, tell me why three seconds is so crucial. The actual so three seconds.
1: seconds is the length of a football field, and uh, that is the average amount of time it takes to communicate a message on your phone or the approximate time. What, um, what I think is fascinating about this is that people, when they see the film, they look at how people look distracted, how your eyes are focused completely on something else, and um, how you don't pay attention to the world around you because you're thinking something else. And that is what is most surprising to people, even to the people that were a part of the project. They didn't realize that that's what they looked like or that's how they behaved when they were distracted.
2: And three seconds is all it takes to get distracted.
1: Yeah. So now I'm hoping that people will use it in classrooms and create community discussions because it is that kind of film that doesn't lecture. It's just just really intriguing to watch the behavior.
2: Okay. Jennifer Boyd, uh, thank you so much. The creator of Three Seconds, what a great education. Uh, your documentary gives us all to think about.
1: And can I just add, if um, you go to threeseconds.org, you can learn more about it
2: absolutely and we've got that link up on our website you've also got some educational podcasts behind there you're working on a second film thank you so much thank you we've all done it distracted driving so coming up a spiritual look at why being a good neighbor and good to ourselves means putting down the phone and the lunch and the coffee put it down Just a small device, supposedly to make our lives easier with apps to keep us even more connected than ever, but what is it about our phones and devices that we just can't seem to put down, even while driving? Kevin Burgess is the director at Faith Tech, okay Kevin. What is it? You're driving, you see the flash of a text go by and you think, or you're at a stoplight and you think, I must communicate, why? must we look at our phones?
6: I think there's, there's two angles on this, and this is something we've really explored and unpacked at Faith Tech. The first angle is the whole way the app ecosystem is built out is designed to distract us. Yeah, You've got apps competing with each other. It's an open marketplace. Anyone can create an app nowadays and get it to live on the app store. But how do these apps show their success? by getting some real estate in your attention. Even the yeah.
2: driving apps whether I'm following Waze or Google, like things will come up. Have you seen this like
6: uh, Yep, there's a car pulled over ahead. Do you want to say that that's definitely there? That, there's yeah. police up there. Give us the thumbs up. Um, Yeah, because they want you to interact with them, because interaction is their sign of success.
2: And I think there is something that's saying, I am so important, I must look at that that's calling for my attention. Like, is it me that's the problem, or is it the phone?
6: So this is the other side of it, is that we um, are way more digitally addicted than we would ever care to admit. It's a socially acceptable illness right now. (laughs) And, um, you know, when you know that 61% of people will pick up their phone within five minutes of waking up on a day, For many people, that's before they've talked to their kids, it's before they've kissed their wife on the cheek when they wake up in the morning. This thing has taken first place. 2,000
2: touches a day is an average. Exactly, exactly.
6: Yeah, and there's even a phenomenon now where 90% of young people in North America have reported phantom vibrations. So this is their brain telling them they're receiving a message on their phone when they may not even have the phone in their pocket. So your body will be responding in a particular way and telling you you've got this thing going on when in fact the phone's not even present on your person.
2: How do we overcome the temptation?
6: How do we overcome it? We need to become proactive rather than reactive. The way technology has progressed has been so quick and so innovative and so intelligent in the way it's taken over our lives that we've actually become reactive to it. We've allowed it to tell us when we need to interact. We've allowed it to tell us when we need to pay attention. And um, what we need to do is be proactive and create our own posture towards technology How and when do I want to use this to enhance my life and the life of others around me? We don't seem to have quite worked that piece out yet. And I think it's something we need to take seriously. You
2: folks are one of the rare tribe that puts uh, philosophy, specifically faith. Yes. uh, Christian faith ideas into the process of thinking about this. So Mm. what is the spiritual triggers I should be processing when I'm thinking about driving in my technology?
6: Yeah, I mean, there's just a key scripture here about loving our neighbor. And God created things so that we could interact with them and then create new things to benefit the world that he has given us stewardship of. When things start to go in the other direction or things start to take us away from that, Mm -hmm. we can, something's not right. We've broken down something. And um, there's, there's a sense of when technology becomes our master, actually we've put it above God. And when we've put it above God, there's also this example that Jesus gave us in terms of how we interact with our neighbors, the people who share our space. He was so present. He was in the moment with the disciples. He was in the moment with the people he touched, he healed, he interacted with. We are often in the moment with a bunch of unknown individuals in other cars around us on a a road. When we take our presence out of that, we're not loving our neighbor. Wow. And we take our presence out of that by interacting with a device that is not a human being.
2: So it is my own selfishness that is, that is ignoring loving my neighbor on the road, just caring, being thoughtful for exactly. another person ahead of myself.
6: Yeah, exactly. And it's, it's not just Jesus' example. It's actually a God-given command that we need to love our neighbors as we love ourselves. If you're standing talking to someone and they're glued to their phone, you do not feel loved. You're sharing the physical space with someone, but you're not sharing the spiritual space with them anymore. And I think we have that responsibility with strangers on the road or in the street or wherever. You know, if we're talking about impaired driving, what about the impaired walking we see in the street every day where someone nearly knocks you off your feet because they're not present. They are in their phone, you know. In their phone.
2: Oh, yeah. Kevin Burgess of Faith Tech, thank mm. you so much for challenging us. More links to all of your good ideas on our website. Kevin Burgess, mm. thank you. Thank you so much. We gave you some frightening information today on your personal risk and safety, including our COVID-19 interview from our correspondent in Rome's lockdown. But remember too, what sets context apart. This news program is funded by viewer donations because the spiritual help it contains to face our fears like COVID-19 is a needed part of the news cycle. The unselfishness and self-control you heard about today finds its source in being grounded in the reality of Jesus with us. That is good practice to take into the days ahead. Much more on this at our website, Contacts with Lorna. From all of us, thank you for spending your time learning with us and check us out online. Bye-bye then.